to From the Source. I'm Michelle Brenner and I'm your host. From the Source aims to answer the question of what tech jobs are really like, both the good and the boring. Today we're going to hear from Eliza Barrios. Eliza, can you tell us your current job title and how long you've been there? Hi, thank you, Michelle, for having me. Um, My current job title is uh, IT manager and um, with the Wikimedia Foundation. And I've been there about, say, almost four years. Awesome. What does an average day look like for you? Average day? Well, I actually really like schedules. <laughs> and um, I, you know, from when I wake up to when I head into work, I have these daily rituals. Um, and so what I usually do is I wake up, I do my meditation practice. Then as I get ready to go to work, I look at my schedule for the day um, and then prepare for that as I'm moving along uh, towards the office. Um, I do have some, you know, work from home days, but typically the day begins with my practice for myself. And then um, I open up the calendar. And then from there, um, I'm getting into the habit of really noting things down and taking notes and having my little daily planner <laughs> uh, guiding me. Um, that means, I guess, meetings based, you know, depending on the what time of the fiscal year it is. And then, of course, daily activities who I engage with, my team, report with my team, report with my CFO, and just engage with everyone um, at the office. Most people uh, know about Wikipedia and have used it to look things up. Can you tell us more about what Wikimedia does? Yes. So Wikimedia is, how can you say, I like to use the metaphor of we are the infrastructure that maintains the Wikipedia infrastructure. And what that means is um, there's a technical and product arm of the foundation, which heads a lot of the building of the tools. I mean, we don't actually build the tools. I feel like um, we do in collaboration with our tech community and volunteers. Um, And then there's the other arm, which is um, operational, um, where we do and fundraising where we, you know, make sure the <laughs> the machine is um, running and our monies that are donated are basically used toward the projects. We have about 13 projects in general. And another part of the foundation is the legal part. We are, the legal part of the foundation ensures free knowledge happens all over the world. And um, right now, uh, the big challenges have been Turkey and China because um, Wikipedia is blocked in those countries. Um, and as I've been talking to a few folks, it's it's also um, a good space and place to really see what's happening in the world. It's a good temperature or a gauge uh, because free knowledge, we feel like free knowledge should be for anyone, everywhere regardless of class, regardless of what background, regardless of what language. And when we have countries blocking 
that for your knowledge. It's sort of an indicator of what else is going on. Um, and so I'd like to, and maybe I'm being overly confident, but um, when you stifle free knowledge, there's certain um, political agendas that, that may be lurking in the background of that. So um, <laughs> I guess I kind of veered off. Clearly, um, it's a mi- mission-driven organization. We ensure that everyone can have free knowledge everywhere. Being so privileged in America where you mostly everything is available online, it's always kind of like there's like a dissonance in remembering that in other places they go on the internet and things are actually blocked and you can't actually have these conversations and the access to all the information. I mean, whether the information is accurate or not on everywhere you go uh, is a different story, but you do at least have access to have the conversations and see all the different ideas. Oh, yes, um, definitely. And, you know, um, speaking of privilege um, and access and technical, like um, we're currently working on our 2030 strategy. And we are also aware that there are countries that do not have the technical infrastructure. Right. Um, That's why, you know, if you uh, open up a wiki page, it's kind of plain and boring. Um, And, um, you know, of course, not it's, it's, it's purely text. And that's there for a reason, because, you know, when you think of slow bandwidth, when you think of mobile platform, um, you know, a page needs to load up. And so those are also all the things that we're considering in in our 2030 plan is really what is what is the Internet going to look like and how are we going to receive our information? It sounds like you have to work on providing content for a wide range of people accessing it from people with very limited data to people who can experience a very rich media and are just listening to things getting read out by a device. Yes, yes, for sure. So what has been your favorite long-term project? I actually was thinking about that because I, um, I'm lucky enough to have a creative practice as well. And my, I would say my favorite long-term practice is how I integrate the two worlds. Um, you know, there are different dimensions of my life is my creative life and, um, as well as my, um, sort of career technical life. And how do I integrate that, um, long-term project is also how do I show up? How am I, how am I present? How am I my, my best self, um, my vulnerable self and, you know, maintaining my curious self. So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my long-term project and it, it feeds into each other. There's this stereotype that when you're in a tech job, you kind of have to give 110% to your job, but I prefer to have uh, other things in my life and you definitely do. So can you tell us more about the art that you do? I, I actually, um, I have an MFA degree and, um, it was in sculpture and photography and, um, sort of my, (laughs) there's a term career change. My trajectory was to be an art professor. Um, and it didn't work out that way by choice. Uh, I felt like I was a little too young to be professors to older folks. So I wanted to get into life experience, you know, create some life experience, but, 
um, how it like I I my my work is mainly video installation right now, and I've been um, getting um, into VR work. Um, and so creating experiences and not the typical, um, experiences you think of when you think of VR, um, more like I actually just did a project on, um, uh, queer women, folks of color, trans folks of color who have, um, experienced, um, sexual trauma, um, and doing a VR work around that was a very, um, enriching process and learning process for me. So that that's where I'm sort of focusing in my creative work is learning the technical um, aspects of VR work, but also bringing in my sort of my installation artwork um, experience into this medium. That sounds super interesting. Uh, if our listeners want to see some of your work, can they do that or do they have to be in person? I do have some documentation. Uh, I have a website. Uh, it's elizabarrios.com. And that's actually mainly my, my art, my artistics, my art site. How do you think being an artist has helped you in your technical career? Yeah, it, it really lends itself because I, I, it's, it's like, um, it's like exercising both sides of the brain. And I could say there have been some technical, um, challenges like you know there's a technical process or um a way to resolve an issue or a problem and um the creative side kind of pulls you away from um the troubleshooting right um in some ways you do have to get creative and so i i could say that i use that part of my brain to help deal with a lot of um issues and resolves what is the most boring but essential part of your job oh um I, I actually don't have any boring moments but um there is moments where it, there's like automation like you're you know you saw the ticket you you know you fix this computer person gets to do their thing and the um, those are kind of the boring moments because you know your computer either turns on or off or the software works or not, you, you know, remove it or install it or actually update it. Um, so I would say that's kind of boring because it's automated. Um, but I also, where I, um, where I, uh, enjoy it is, uh, the folks that I engage with, uh, in which I'm solving their issues, um, sort of like how they explain the issue, how we describe it and how we work it through. So would you say the most satisfying part of your job is helping people? Yes, I would say that this most satisfying part of my job is helping them and actually um, empowering them. I mean, I think we're part of a gen. I'm part of a, we're, we're part of a generation where there are still folks that are, um, <laughs> Uh, that have an aversion to technology. I'm not going to call them technophobes or um, Luddites or whatever, but have an aversion, right, to technology. And when um, I'm able to uh, hit home, like where, when I'm able to show or share with them how technology helps them and empowers them, 
um, that's, that's the biggest thing that I enjoy. What is the most stressful part of your job and how do you manage it? Blockers. Blockers are a huge stressful part of my job. Um, there is a chart it's called a Kinevin chart and it's like a decision-making chart. And, um, there is an area between the complex and the chaotic decision-making sort of best practices that stresses me out <laughs> and um, being sort of a troubleshooter, troubleshooter and problem solver um, that, that um, kind of compels me to um, actually uh, get, you know, take my stress and use my creativity in trying to manage the decision-making. But the moments where it's like unknown and all the parts of the problem and the puzzle pieces of the problem aren't there, um, that's kind of stressful for me. <laughs> but you always find the answer. I would say 85% of the time. There are some answers that cannot be answered at the moment, right? Because you know, either for skills or, you know, competency or even resources, it's like not possible. But knowing like all what all the puzzle pieces, how they present themselves um, is, is helpful, gets you kind of there. Since you're working for a nonprofit, is it stressful knowing your salary is kind of based on the kindness of strangers and knowing they have to keep raising every year? That's a, that's a good question because I actually fell into this. Um, I didn't, I didn't look for working for the foundation. I just thought of Wikipedia, um, you know, kind of the geeky things, you know, you look at their annual report, you see what their operating budget is. Um, you see how much they spend, you see what, uh, the turnaround is or not. Um, also I think what makes me, more inspired to work for the foundation is the leadership and Catherine has done Catherine Marr is um, our CEO um, slash ED um, for the foundation. And I really um, believe in her, uh, how can you say her, her leadership. And so it really helped me make that decision. And of course the mission, right. Um, all nonprofits have specific niches that they're um, that they're addressing, like with the Global Fund, um, women um, and girls' rights around the world. Like that was a mission that I can get with. Um, so, uh, but typically, all the nonprofits do have their operating budget, and you could see um, what kind of structure they have and what they've maintained over the years. So you mentioned before this conference called N10, and I'm actually not familiar with it. So can you tell us a little more, more about that? Sure. Um, N10 is a um, conference that happens every year, but also an organization that supports um, nonprofit technologists. And um, every year they get together, you know, different places. I went to one in DC, a couple in San Francisco. They had theirs last year in Portland. And it's where everyone can get together and talk about best practices from the technology level to the management and leadership level, um, and also the fundraising level. And it's just a, a great space. They have like four tracks specific for, say, you know, like for me, I'm in IT. So, 
There's a track for IT folks. There's a track for leadership folks. Um, and you can learn things. Um, there's workshops uh, ranging from security best practices for your nonprofit to storytelling, how to tell a good story for fundraising. Or, you know, how do you fundraise more money for your organization? And um, I've been a member since at least 2010, but I'm not quite sure how long they've been in existence. Uh, they're based in Oregon, and uh, their website is n10nten.org. And they have a, a great resources there. And I believe Amy Sampler is... Um, the ED or uh, she's a community advocate and um, they've been really, really helpful and supportive. And then um, of course you get the, the community um, alongside and, you know, I've been, you know, I've reached out to folks that I've met at the conference to see like, Hey, how do you do this? How do you do onboarding, offboarding? And that's where we share. So let's talk a little more about your job. So what skills do you find the most essential on a day-to-day basis? Oh my gosh. Um, the, you know, this is kind of cheesy, but the biggest skill that that's like really, really essential is really listening to learn, which sometimes is hard <laughs> when you have your ideas, but listening to learn and, um, questioning and being curious um that's really really essential and and really keeping realizing that there are different styles of communication for folks and um you know as a manager that's it's kind of like i like to um uh, i like to compare it to gears like you kind of shift gears depending on who you are engaging with what team you're engaging with whether it's you know you're engaging with a c-level or a report um you shift gears um in terms of your communication and um understanding style is there anything you'd recommend to help someone who wants to improve that skill i you know i i i again i feel really privileged um the foundation has a program for managers and it's called wiki leads. And that's where we actually exercise those skills um, and learn about how to be a, you know, basically a better decision maker and a better communicator. Are there any skills that were on your job description or you were advised to have that you never use at all? No, actually, I feel like I do use them and the, the, I feel like I use them all and then some. There are some skills that weren't listed that I wasn't aware of and that I've kind of come into it. So what were some of those surprising skills that weren't listed and you realized, oh, I need to learn this? Oh, um, so, and this is a thing because I'm not a business major. It's the accounting and budget side. And I think the, I think it just takes a lot of um, experience. Right. So those are the skills that I, I almost feel like I should have taken a business course to be a better budget owner. <laughs> um, but I would say more on the hard business side that those are the skills that, you know, they, they, they share that on, as a line item with skills like you manage your budgets, but really when you get into it, there are so many intricacies that I wasn't aware of that 
I'm learning and getting a little better at, but again, I have, we have a, um, um, sort of a business analyst that I get to work with and ask all the questions. So. Cool. So let's talk a little more about being a manager. What do you look for when you're interviewing? Oh, I actually look for two qualities. Of course, the technical side, but mainly I look for like passion and curiosity about the role. Right. And when I say passion, it's, it's a real like interest and intrigue of what they'll be doing. Um, and then of course, curiosity. How can someone demonstrate for you that they're excited and curious about the job? I think really asking good questions about the role, um, asking really good questions and, um, sort of delving deeper into what the role can look like. Once you've hired someone, how do you make sure your team stays excited about the job and are always growing? <laughs> team lunches? No. Um, I, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I try to mix it up because um, it's it's sometimes a, um, a thankless job, right? You know, no one cares about IT until their computer breaks and then you know, <laughs> it's our fault, right? <laughs> that we created these logic boards that break. But um, I think what I do is I, I sort of assess uh, where everyone's at. I, I'm mindful of the year. There are moments of the year where it's busier than, um, than not. And I take the opportunity to like um, bring in little nuggets of, um, you know, taking what's challenging them and trying to find ways to make it so that it's less challenging and it's like a bigger overview of how they can make their sort of role work for them, for themselves. Um, and I, I also like to engage other companies so that they've, you know, we all, sometimes we feel so siloed um, but really, um, having like field trips and talking to other folks that do similar roles in different companies, you know, learned lessons and, you know, kind of, um, sharing that opportunity with the team, um, and, and really highlighting, highlighting their, their successes. I think that's really key. Um, you know, not only do you give them nuggets to grow, but you also acknowledge what they're good at too. Um, So that's how I feel like you keep the momentum and you change it up once in a while. I kind of got, I've gotten into this um, really cheesy thing where I share podcasts every, (laughs) every week. And it varies from like super political to super technical. And um, I also want to create sort of a personable or a personal um, relationship with them. So they hear what, oh, this is sort of the trend or here's the political trend and this is what our work is doing in terms of impacting the world, etc. So just bringing in little threads. It sounds like you're a very thoughtful manager. I think so. I think so. Um, I think I've had many managers. <laughs> um, 
to model from or not model from. And I am taking all the little bits that have propelled me to this position and trying to embody them. I also can't wait for the morning where you're like, hey, everyone, here's the podcast of the day. It features me. No big deal. I'm so awesome. Listen to me talk. It's going to be a fun day. So you mentioned kind of a cycle to IT work throughout the year, and I wasn't aware of that. So can you tell me more about how that works? For me, it's 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 not like tried, true, and tested. It's only actually my – I like to create systems for myself. And there's there's the annual planning process, right? And that's pretty much the cycle that you um, – you sort of function on for the year you have your deliverables at the beginning of the year and then you have the quarterlies and you you know here are the deliverables I've hit it I've not here's the blockers etc so that's kind of the cycle sort of the general business cycle for the foundation but um, as an IT team um, there are moments there's a thing that we have all year called all hands where everyone pretty much comes to mothership and we all meet because we're um, basically over the staff is over 50% distributed around the world. Um, and at those moments we get very busy and that's when we get to resolve a lot of it issues because it's, you know, folks in India don't get that much technical support because of time zone difference and then access to like um, technical parts that need. So that rhythm, that's just that um, cycle is we plan for that and it gets really busy around that time. And then um, there's a thing called Wikimania that happens every year. And that's yet another um, opportunity for many distributed folks to gather with the community. Um, and so that time of the year, we're a little busy um, helping support, support that. Um, mainly off-site, so it, it doesn't really impact. But during that time is when our big maintenance window is where we can like, okay, we can shut down the servers and do all the things so that, because folks are at Wikimania doing their thing. So those are the type of cycles that we I'm aware of um, and try to um, leverage or have opportunity to do a lot of uh, systems improvements. So it sounds like when everyone else gets the party is when IT has to do the most work. Exactly. Exactly. It seems extremely unfair. <laughs> I'm actually just imagining you with like a party hat, but like fixing a machine while everyone else is at the actual party. It happens. It actually happens. There's a lot of, you know, hey, um, there's something going on with my computer uh, as we're celebrating something. Yeah, it happens. I love it though. I basically, um, the joke is I'm getting paid for what I would do for free for friends, you know? So you talked a little bit about keeping your, making sure your employees are always learning new things and it's growing. Where do you go to learn new technology? Um, I actually am fortunate enough to have a few mentors who are, you know, have positions such as like CTOs, CIOs, um, you know, in conversations with them and as cheesy as this sounds, I feel like I'm going to out myself, but um, I do listen to Kara Schuscher. I listen to her podcasts and uh, there are certain topics 
that she discussed that, you know, I get into that. Um, I like to call it the Wikipedia wormhole where you just like hear this little thing that this company's doing and then you go further and further in. Um, and I usually just let my curiosity um, take me forward. Um, I'm a geek. Uh, and so there's really, there's no, there's not a dearth of <laughs> um, innovation or technology that uh, is not happening. So, Are there any questions you often hear when you're mentoring or at events that I haven't touched on? It's usually, you know, like it's, it's this weird display between education, like, because like in technology, I know a lot, you know, a lot of the innovative folks don't go to school and they're like, you know, you go off and you do your thing and you learn your code and, or you get into technology through that route, not necessarily having a sort of a computer science degree, and I feel like um, education, like what you get from an institution is worthwhile, um, n- not only for, for, of course, the education, but the networks you have. Um, and so those are the types of questions I'd, I'd usually get. And I, and we, I guess we haven't talked about it, but the, the, the difference between getting um, a, a, a four-year institutional degree versus just acquiring um, your skills on the job. And I wouldn't say one or the other is better, but you just know what you get from the other, which is, you know, not only do you get your college debt, but you do get the networks that are, that have served to be useful. I a hundred percent agree with that. I feel like that's something we're not telling 17 and 18 year olds to network as much as possible. There's so many times I hear people say that they got this job from someone they met in college or the professor recommended to them, especially in technology where things are always changing very quickly. So what you learn in school is great, but you're going to have to learn more every day. It's really the people you meet and being able to have those connections that will help you really grow in your career. Completely. And, you know, and, and, you know, there are the folks that are super self-motivated, right. And um, they're good at going to meetups and, you know, making connections that way. So um, I think you just need to learn for yourself what works best for you. And if you aren't one of those people that feel very comfortable doing that, find an extroverted buddy and make them come with you. For sure. (laughs) For sure. Oh, that was another thing that I'd like to add is me and my team did our Myers-Briggs together. And uh, <laughs> and it's uh, it was quite interesting and revealing, but it really helped us have a deeper level of understanding. And I want to sort of disclaim that it was all by choice. <laughs> I know there's been some controversy around personality tests at work, um, but uh yeah. And when you mentioned introvert and extrovert, that was an easy way to sort of identify folks. <laughs> so what's your next step? I just completed an ITIL cert, which is the ITIL Foundation Library. It's sort of a service management library thing. One of the harder tests that I've ever taken. Um, I don't know. I mean, I could see myself with foundation for a couple of years where, you know, the challenge is when a um, organization or a company scales, 
um, that's such a really great opportunity to sort of flex your service management knowledge. I feel like I'm at the beginning of that, doing that for a few years, but I also have potential shows coming up, um, art shows um, in the near future. So that that's always kind of run parallel with my my um my work career life. So I can't I can't say anything special. I mean, I'm heading off to Stockholm in August, uh, where we'll have the Wikimania um, conference. Hopefully, meet some Wikipedians there and see where that leads me to. Cool. It sounds like you're working on so many different things. You just you're keeping your options open of like what you find the most interesting and rewarding. You can keep working on that. Yeah, I, I think that's really key. And that's something that I always um, discuss with the, my reports that I work with is like, um, jobs are really interesting nowadays. You don't normally see the 20 year history at one position, especially for nonprofits, unless you own it. But even if you do head it, you should actually leave after three or four years. That's another story. But, you know, you, 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 you anticipate the change and you're not going to be in the same position forever. So it's really key to keep your eyes open and even your interests, because I've known folks that have started as in legal and are now engineers and coders and that's awesome, right? Um, and and we could do that now. I I think about my parents. I don't think that was that was. A, I think that was a deal breaker. <laughs> you couldn't do that maybe because you had kids, but you could jump around. Like my sort of retirement dream is to be a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a bartender where it's a very a completely smart bar where everything is automated. And all your art is displayed everywhere on the wall. So everything is yours. <laughs> hmm. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> I feel like you couldn't stop yourself. You couldn't have just like a regular bar. You'd have to have this super awesome technical art bar. Yeah. I, I, I bet you uh, by the time I get there, there will be art bars already. Are there any technical organizations that you enjoy being a part of? Yeah, there um, well, of course, the foundation, only because of our mission. Uh, they're um, tech, I'm not necessarily a part of, but I donate, and I very, mu- very much support their mission. Um, the Media Justice, Center for Media Justice, they do awesome work. Um, of course, the Internet Archive. And um, all the, I would say all the coding camps for girls and women, um, anything that empowers girls and women, I'm, I'm really supportive of. If our listeners want to reach out via social media, how can they reach you? Oh, <laughs> I'm actually not on. Um, well, I'm kind of a lurker, <laughs> so I'm not very active, but um, I have a Twitter handle, which is XEBXXX. Well, I want to thank you so much for speaking with me today. To keep up to date on upcoming episodes or to continue the conversation, please follow us on Twitter at FromSourcePod. If you'd like to share your journey with our audience or have any questions about the podcast, please email me at FromTheSourcePod at gmail.com.